you all for worshiping today. Thank you for giving uh, to the Lord's work and his kingdom. And thank you all uh, for being with us. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. Uh, if you don't, there's one in the hymnal rack right around where you're sitting. Uh, I would love for you to open up with me once again to Ephesians chapter six. We began in this passage a few weeks ago, uh, but we didn't cover uh, the verses uh, preceding verse 16, which has been a launching point for us. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. Um, We'll also uh, be turning at the end of the hour, I mean, the very end of our time together uh, to Psalm 46. If you wanna go ahead and put a bookmark there, you can. If not, we will, um, again, we'll be turning there at the close of our message Today is one of the few occasions where I think we, uh, if we went around the room and we ask everybody, what's on your mind? Uh, I I think a lot of us, most of us would answer something similar, uh, or at least something has been on our mind that is similar. Uh, And it's probably not just true for this gathering, but for most gathering, uh, in this instance, around the world, um, on the same note, Whereas we often come to church with different things on our minds and we often seek different things from God, I think it can be said that many of us are interested and hopeful to gain some wisdom and perspective regarding a similar subject matter, which is one of those rare Sundays that we uh, have every once in a while where we all kind of have had a similar experience or have observed similar things and we come seeking a, a similar um, solution or, or similar or answers. And, and in times like these where our hearts are knit together, where our hearts are focused on the same things, our minds are focused on the same things, it, it makes church gatherings all the more important. They're always important, but when we're all thinking about the same thing and processing the same things and looking for the same thing, I think it makes these gatherings even more important and maybe even more sacred and more, um, uh, you know, uh, opening the door for us to really um, get closer to God. And, and, And not only because our hearts are so sensitive, but because we believe God's word is always speaking. And when we turn to God's word for any given subject, God is gonna speak to us about what we need to hear. But when we're all looking for the same answers and we're all seeking the same answers or or, answers to the same problems, I I think it makes God's word even louder and it makes the volume amplified. Uh, The the Bible says, Hebrews 4 says about God's word, about the scripture, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the intents of the heart. We'll get to that in just a minute. But that God's word is living and active, that it pierces. That means it gets between the places that we didn't even realize there was a need there. We may not were even aware of the, the issue that was going on. We weren't even aware that the vulnerability that was there, that it pierces and it discerns, that it helps us understand what we're really looking for and what we're really in need of. God's word is alive and God's word is active. So not only is God's word a living force, but it's an active as in it's pursuing us and it's coming to us exactly when we need it and God has a way of presenting it to us. We believe that God's word is a living, breathing collection of inspired truth, which it makes even more remarkable. It wasn't all written at the same time. It was written across thousands of years by many different authors from different experiences and in different languages. But together, it is a living, breathing collection of inspired truth. And that when we gather around it and we seek guidance and clarity from it, we can rest assured that we will find it. Now, obviously we come together today having been shaken up, alerted by the aggression of one nation against another, which uh, you know used to be maybe a common thing in this world. Maybe it's not as common anymore, which makes it all the more alarming, all the more um, disconcerting. But I'm sure we all have a lot of questions 
a lot of concerns, and let's be honest, we have various emotions in response to these sorts of circumstances, not the least of which is probably fear, that all of us have probably entertained some sort of fear. We've all had these emotions that have went through us this week, and all of us, um, our natural response, sometimes our most instinctive response is to be afraid. And it just so happens that we're in the middle of a series called Fiery Darts, Fiery Darts inspired by Ephesians 6, where it says the enemy is always shooting fiery darts, flaming arrows that are intending on burning away our faith, taking away our faith. We're in the middle of a series called Fiery Darts, which is about how to endure the challenges of this world, how to overcome the enemy's plots and plans to empty us of faith and empty us of joy. And if there's ever a fiery dart, it's a global conflict that puts everybody on edge, or at least I think so. Now, we had plans to cover the subject of fear in this series, but the scope and scale of that conversation shifted uh, when things begin to take place in our world. Uh, it was going to be initially smaller, more focused, more personal, uh, but it became something that I think takes on a whole larger conversation and really brings even more truth to us and more help to us. But with the events having played out this past week, it, it prompted me to kind of blow up this message and enlarge the scope and the scale uh, of this conversation to consider factors that maybe we don't usually consider, that maybe don't usually get our attention. So while there's going to be plenty of overlap in this particular study of fear and uncertainty as maybe we've had before, I think as we enlarge the scope and scale of this conversation, I think we're going to get some help and gain some perspective that we maybe wouldn't have otherwise. So I think ultimately, ultimately, I think the, the overall outcome of our conversation today is that God is going to equip us to be more firm in our faith, which everybody wants to be more firm in our, your faith. I think you would want to have a stronger faith. I believe God's going to help us with that today. And I think God's going to help us be more focused in our faithfulness, which is sometimes an afterthought because we're so worried about losing faith and we're so overcome with fear, we don't even get to the part about being faithful. So I think God's gonna help us do both today. Uh, our launch pad for this series has been Ephesians 6, which uh, talks a lot about standing firm. I think three or four times we talked about a few weeks ago that the scripture says, stand firm, stand against the enemy. But also it features the apostle Paul being very honest uh, about the struggles that we face. And it talks about how uh, he encourages the people of Ephesus to be faithful in spite of what is attempting to derail their commitment and their confidence, because there was a lot trying to do that. Uh, I want us to take a fresh look at this chapter, and I want us to pay attention to something that maybe we didn't initially cover, but I, I honestly didn't even intend on pulling this from this text until over the last couple of weeks, beginning to re-examine the approach. So I want you to look at Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 13, and then we'll get into our conversation. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There seems to be a lot of wrestling against flesh and blood in our world, but Paul says, no, there's something deeper. There's something more sinister. There's something more at stake. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, nation against nation, people against people. He said, it's actually more intense than that, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness, 
in heavenly or in the spiritual places or in spiritual realms, as in we can't see the actual battles that are taking place. We see one nation against another. We see one group against another, but we don't really see the actual conflict. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. When is the evil day? Well, that's every day that we live in this fallen world. Some days we're more aware of the evil, of the darkness, of the brokenness. And I think this week we've been reminded um, that yes, our world is fallen. Yes, there is evil. Yes, there are forces at work that we don't understand their motives, but nonetheless, they are at work. These verses clearly touch on the desire of the enemy to knock us down, to enslave us and to overwhelm us. And Paul is on high alert, or he's making the church on high alert, because he's wanting us to know that Satan wants to counter the good work that God has done and is doing. God is always up to something in your heart. He's always working something good, something productive, something to grow you as a person, to bring you closer to him, to make you more uh, focused on his kingdom. God is always working something good, but Satan is always working to counter that work. And he does so by supplanting our devotion to God with distractions. And supplant means to pry underneath and pull out, right? To, to pry loose and cause there to be a vulnerability, to cause there to be a gap, to cause there to be a hole. And he fills that gap with something that distracts us from what God had intended on doing and what God wants to do. So we talked about this with regard to doubt and jealousy for the first two weeks. We talked about how God has plans for our lives, but sometimes we have different plans and we get a little bit discouraged when God's plans are different than our plans. And Satan puts doubts in our minds and causes us to be depressed and devastated because we see God's plans and our plans going away from each other and we're frustrated at the deviation. We, we talked about the comparison traps the enemy lays for us, landmines that he puts in our path, that we might lose our joy and our peace and our purpose uh, because we're distracted by what God is doing in other people's lives and we're jealous of them, whereas God is wanting us to find peace in what he has for us. There are many, many more emotions that are grating, that wear on us, uh, that if they're not brought under the light of God's word, they will erode our faith and they will deplete us of joy. And next week we'll talk about anger and we'll talk about bitterness uh, because unaddressed anger and unaddressed bitterness um, can be as toxic as anything uh, in our lives. But today, today we're focusing on fear. And I think all of us can agree that we are hit with this fiery dart of fear day after day. And the thing about fear is that we're all afraid of different things, that none of us are afraid of the same things. But this fear, or fear affects us all predominantly in the same ways. We can all go around the room, we can be afraid of 20, 30, 40 different things, but the way we react to fear and the way fear affects us is pretty much the same, that we might all be afraid of different things, but we all react in our affected the same way. And that's why I think verses 14 and 15 are very important when it comes to the subject of fear and why I believe uh, that these verses are going to really do an awesome job at drawing out how we're affected and how we must address and overcome. So look at verse 14 and 15. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth or put on the belt of truth, your translation may say, put on the breastplate of righteousness. So there's a sense of protection there, protecting what is vulnerable. 
Verse 15, having shod your feet or literally put on your shoes. But in those days, they didn't have shoes like we have. They literally wrapped their feet up with leather, with straps that made a shoe like uh, protection around their feet. Having shod their feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we're gonna dive into two, these two verses because there's a whole lot here. But I think just on the surface, God is wanting to give us some help, but the help is not just to prevent us from falling. I think a lot of times we go to the Bible and we look at it in a preventative way. Well, this will keep me from falling, but this is more than just preventing you from falling. This is about keeping us moving forward because the goal of this passage is that we would not be, uh, that, that not only that we wouldn't fall, but that we would stay on mission, stay on target, stay on our pathway. Again, we hear again and again, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm, because the goal is to move forward. Verse 14 launches with stand therefore with some languages that evoke an urgency, a call to action. And then verse 15 continues that same theme and it calls into question what is our grounding and what is our readiness. Now we'll get to these two things in, uh, in just a minute. We'll get those two things in just a minute. But first let's back up to verse 14. When Paul writes, gird your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, this immediately would have brought to the Jewish people's attention, the Jewish audience's attention, uh, a very emotional time period of the people's history. And the, origin, the, the, the words used here, the language used here is directly pulled from the Passover story that the Hebrew people would have been very familiar with that they celebrated every year. And it was a milestone, really a cornerstone of their people's development and of their people's history. So if you're familiar with that story, if you're not, I'll kind of catch you up. In, ancient, in the ancient world, in ancient times, uh, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, were slaves in the empire of Egypt. And God told the people that he was going to get the attention of Pharaoh and the whole nation through a series of plagues. And he did that. However, Pharaoh would not budge and he would not relent. So there was going to be one final plague to get his attention once and for all or else. So the short of it is the Egyptians worshiped a pantheon of gods that were fabrications of the enemy. Uh, and, and it's true that Satan used all sorts of false religions to enslave the pagan world. He still does this to this day. But in the ancient world, he used all sorts of pagan, uh, all sorts of false religions to enslave the pagan world. And the Egyptians worshiped many gods who were connected to different creatures and concepts in hopes that they would escape the worst the world had to offer. Egypt worshiped the Nile River uh, because they were paranoid of water rescinding and having no water to drink or for their crops. They worshiped flies and frogs and other elements of nature, hoping to be spared from the outbreaks that often swept over the land. That They worshiped a God who was called the God of death and hell. And their goal was to keep him happy so that he would not come for them. But Pharaoh was said to have power over these gods and he leveraged his power over the God of death, for instance, to take out his enemies. The, the Hebrew people were obviously abused by the Egyptians and were oppressed by the Egyptians. And we're all familiar with the time when the, uh, when the Egyptians called for a mass murder of the Hebrew boys when they tried to kill Moses, of course, was one of those boys of that, a part of that mass murder. There were several attempts the Egyptians used to try to stunt the population of the Hebrews. And, and Pharaoh in doing this was leveraging the power of this God of death, this God of hell. 
Well, all the plagues were a challenge on these Egyptian gods, meant to expose their weakness and inability to protect or to save. And the last plague targeted this God of death, meant to show the Egyptians that it was actually the God of the Hebrews who had been merciful to the Egyptians the whole time. And the reason why they were not affected by death and hell is because God was sparing them. The Hebrew God, the one true God. Now he brought the Jews to Egypt to introduce them to the one true God, to spare them from judgment. However, Pharaoh wouldn't have it. Pharaoh did not believe. He would not open his heart to God. He hardened his heart. So the final plague was pronounced by Moses and the, uh, Moses to the Egyptians and even to the Hebrews. Death was gonna sweep over the land. Death was gonna take the firstborn of every family. God wasn't gonna let it take everybody. But he was going to teach the Egyptians a lesson. He was going to prove to them that they didn't have the power over death and hell, that he had power. He actually had been sparing them all from death and from hell. So God was going to allow death to sweep over the land and take the firstborn of every family. But God made a provision and God made a way of escape. Whoever put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of their home would be protected. Now, can you imagine how dramatic and how scary this must have been for the Hebrews? That Moses says, okay, guys, this is gonna break the back of Pharaoh. This is gonna break the back of the Egyptians. God is gonna allow death to sweep over the land. He's only gonna take the firstborn of every family, but we are not spared from this unless we follow his word. Can you imagine how scary this would have been? I mean, you already were an oppressed people. You already were a vulnerable people. You already were a people who were losing people because of uh, the, you know, the uh, enslavery and all the awful things that were being done to the Jews in, in, in Egypt. And God says, this is the way out. But there is a way through which we as a people are spared. God was gonna peel back his mercy that was withholding judgment from Egypt. But in doing so, even his people would be vulnerable. Now, this is the kind of thing that I'm sure Moses had to really talk him off the ledge because this, does, this sounds like a way out, but it also sounds like a, a, a lot of opportunities for it to go wrong for us. God had been holding back the plague of death on Egypt. And by unleashing it, even the Hebrews would be affected. However, God promised the Hebrews that if they trusted him, they would be saved. You see how this is such a forming time for the people's faith? God says, there's nothing to worry about. If you just trust me and you apply the blood of the lamb, you will be spared the devastation. And you will be so, the Egyptians will be so taken aback. They will ask you to leave. They will beg you to leave and you will be free. So the people had to put their faith in God's word. They had, to, they had to trust God. But the whole time, I'm sure they were wondering, is this gonna work? I mean, is this really gonna save us? Is this gonna protect us? How do we know? Because this has never happened before. And this sounds really dangerous. It sounds really risky. And it was promises God breaking the back of Pharaoh's resistance, but would it work? On top of that, would the blood of a lamb be enough to save them? Would that actually lead them to a better place in the long run? Can you imagine putting yourself in their shoes? I'm sure there were a lot of questions. It was a tense and heavy time as God was forming and developing their faith, but it required they embrace discomfort in order to find true and better comfort. 
Would you be willing to take that opportunity? Would you be willing to embrace that kind of discomfort if it meant gaining a comfort that would never be taken away? Listen to what Moses told the people as they were looking to that Passover. In this manner you shall eat with your belt fastened and your shoes on your feet and your staff in hand. Does that sound familiar? With your belt fastened, with your shoes on, with a staff to protect you. Clearly when Paul writes, stand therefore, gird your waist, put on a breastplate, shod your feet. He is bringing this very emotional memory back to the Jewish people because this was so real to them. This was their origin story. But God told them on that Passover night, eat with your belt on, with your shoes on, with your staff in hand, you're gonna eat. And in this crazy, this weird phrase, you shall eat in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. As in this is not just about you. God is up to something that's so much bigger than you can ever imagine. You may not even realize what he's up to until it's all over with, but you've got to trust me on this. Do you feel the tension? I mean, eat in haste. I mean, when we have our family Thanksgiving and Christmas meals, we eat in slow motion, don't we? We sit down, we load up our plates, we talk a little bit, we eat, and we forget that we baked already, we eat again, right? I mean, you know, come on, and that's fine. That's, that's the luxury of our world and of our time. But I mean, this, was, this is their, I mean, Passover is their big holiday. It's in, and they still celebrate it like this. They celebrate it not in a laid back kind of way. Oh, well, you know, let's hang out and have a nice evening. It's a, a meal they eat in haste as to bring them back to that first night when everything was on the line. And, and the most emotional part of it is every family celebrating the Passover, it was the firstborn son that would read the liturgy, that would read, you shall put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. It was the firstborn son that would read the scripture and it was him that was most vulnerable. Says this in verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. So as it it played out, the Egyptians were begging as it began to happen and people began to die and the Hebrews were spared. They went to the Hebrew camp and said, please leave because if you, whatever is going on, we're all gonna be dead if we don't let let you all go. So they left just as God said they would be asked to leave. Now, I don't think that needs any added emphasis, but in the midst of one of the most pressure-packed moments of their life, don't miss this, God was not just asking them to have faith, but he was calling them to be faithful. Do you see the difference? He wasn't just calling them to passively believe. He was calling them to take an active role in this, to be faithful. And the reason for which this is not just about disarming fear. It's about displacing or replacing fear about countering fear because one of the most dangerous side effects is of fear one of the most dangerous side effects of fear is how it freezes us in place how it disables us how it stunts us Ephesians 6 15 brings into focus two things that are crucial factors if we get these wrongs fear if we get these wrong fear will freeze us it will paralyze us and I don't mean to be too alarming but I think this has already happened for a lot of us if we get this wrong fear will disable us this verse reveals two things if we give ample attention to we will counter the spirit of fear and fight against the dread that fear attempts to enslave us and dominate us with. Look at the part of the body that the focus of verse 15 is on. 
15 is all about our feet. The instruction is that we put shoes on. It's what shod your feet, wrap your feet up as in put shoes on your feet, which seems like a very simple thing for us to do because we just put shoes on all the time. Put shoes on your feet and have a readiness as in you're not putting shoes on to sit around. I mean, what do you do when you get home from a day of work? You take your shoes off and sit down. But when you put your shoes back on, the idea is that you're leaving, right? I'm someone that never takes my shoes off because I always feel like I gotta be doing something. This is a a bad problem to have. But a lot of us, we know that feeling when you put your shoes on, it's because you're going somewhere. You have somewhere to go. You've got readiness about yourself. We mentioned these earlier, but this speaks of being grounded and prepared. Being grounded and prepared based on our faith. What does it say? Having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. So you're prepared and you're grounded based on the gospel. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to be grounded in the gospel? How can that protect us and deliver us from fear? Here's how. Grounded in the gospel means that our peace and our hope and our joy is rooted in Jesus. Not anyone or anything else. Let me say that again. Grounded in the gospel means that your peace and your hope and your joy is not partially in Jesus. It's not sometimes in Jesus. It's not once a week in Jesus. It's always rooted, secured only in Jesus. Nobody or nothing else. That's something that is only truly made known when we're tested. Do you hear me? Because the Jews, their faith was not born until their back was against the wall. And God said, you've got to put your faith in me. And here's how important it is. If you don't, you don't make it out. You see how God allowed that to happen to bring them to the surface, to bring their faith to a place of life? Only when we're tested and face trials does the groundedness of our faith, is, our, is, is it revealed? So here's the thing, adversity exposes our true foundation. When our foundation is shaken, its quality or lack thereof becomes certain. That's why out of the goodness and out of the love for us, God allows us to be tested. That's why he removes the cushions and mercies of this world. Because our track record as a people, and this isn't because I'm pick, God's picking on me or you or anybody, but this is just humanity as a people. This is something we've always had a problem with. Our track record is that we take our faith out of God and we put our faith in somebody or something else. So what we do. If you ask, what are, what are people good at? Oh, we're really good at taking faith out of God and putting it in something or somebody else. We're really good at it. We do it almost like it's our nature. It's a catch-22 of blessings. Our nature is to corrupt those blessings from God and turn them into barriers that are between us and God. It doesn't have to be this way, but we gotta keep proper perspective on the good things so that they don't become a God instead of worshiping the one true God. And of course, they keep us from serving God. Listen to this warning that Moses gave the generation that he took out of Egypt. Listen to this warning. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules, his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord. This is the people that had no reason they should ever forget God or put their faith in someone besides God. They saw it all happen in front of them. The Passover, the Red Sea, all the miracles, and even they were vulnerable. So come on, if they were vulnerable, who are we to say that we're not? Because of course we are. 
Our nature is to turn good things and take them to the level of God. Our nature is to worship the good over the God. I want to show you a verse before I do. The richest man that ever lived have never had a need, never went without. And you may say, well, it's easy for him to say this, but the richest man that ever lived wrote this in one of his last journals. Remove from me, far, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? You know why Solomon prayed that prayer? Because he got full and he denied God and he said, who is the Lord? I'm not asking you to pray that prayer. The Bible is, I'm not. I'm not asking you to pray this prayer, but I'm asking you to think about, think about where somebody's mind had to get to that had everything. For them to realize that might not be the best thing for me because it actually kept me from the better thing. See, the thing is, when we put our faith in good things over God, when we put our faith in what we have instead of who we have, our foundations, of course, are very fragile, are very vulnerable. And when our foundations begin to break, when our fragile foundations begin to shake and crumble, we will be left vulnerable to this world's fragility and volatility. So the reason why we have to talk about how we are grounded, the groundedness of our faith, is if our faith is not grounded in Jesus, we are on fragile and volatile ground, as we've been reminded of. Without the firewall of the gospel, fear will, not might, will. If you have one ounce of your weight on anybody or anything other than Jesus, fear has a direct line into your heart. Without the supernatural hope of Jesus as our ground, we are left with the realization that our life is in our own hands and on that condemned ground, we will be seized by fear. This past week, we've been reminded that not every country operates by Western Christian sensibilities, where we look for ways to help other countries rather than invade them. Maybe that was a surprise to you. Just like maybe two years ago, it was a surprise to you that a virus could spread around the world and kill hundreds of thousands of people in the year of our Lord 2022. Doesn't happen in today's world, does it? Maybe that was a surprise to you. Maybe it's a surprise to you that our world is as volatile and fragile as ever. Maybe that's a surprise because we Americans are really in tune with the cushions and the barriers that make it seem like things are better. We've had plenty of reminders of late how fragile and volatile this world is. And perhaps, perhaps, and I don't know this, but perhaps, perhaps God allows this to happen. Perhaps God allows this to happen so that we might remember that he alone is good, he alone is sovereign, and all other ground is sinking sand. We've seen that a few times, haven't we, in our lives? But could it be that God allows this to happen because otherwise we will forget, otherwise we will forget that he alone is good and sovereign? I know this is contrary to what feels right, but we should rejoice at these reminders. The world is screaming to us. The world is yelling at us. Do not put your faith in me. 
The world is yelling, I am fragile, I am volatile. Do not put your faith in that which you feel and that which you see and that which you touch. With your, land with your feet. The Old Testament tells us, the fact that Exodus tells us God is working through every nation. God is working through every world event to exert his power, to spread his fame, and to save us from a world that is fragile and volatile. Exodus 8, God told the Egyptians, this is why I'm doing this, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of a world that is so on edge, that you may know. Why had God allowed, why has God allowed the past week's events to transpire? Why has God allowed the last two years to play out like he has? Why has God allowed anything to play out like it has the last however many years you wanna put into play? so that we may know there is one God and there is one kingdom and that we may be grounded in him and in his. The command in this verse is that we be prepared by and possess a readiness because of the gospel. Not only that we be grounded, but that we be prepared because of and we be ready in. This speaks of a very important notion that we'll close around. Part of a byproduct of fear a byproduct of fear, as we talked about, is that we are frozen. And part of being frozen and paralyzed is we become unfaithful to God. We become unfaithful. So be, beware, beware of fear's most deceptive tactic. It empties us of faithfulness because it exaggerates our discomfort. There is in all of us a notion that says we cannot serve God unless we have a certain measure of comfort. And if somehow that comfort is taken away from us, then somehow we can't continue to serve God because we're exposed in our discomfort now, when in fact, that kind of comfort may actually be the enemy of faithfulness and actually might block our preparation and readiness when the giant is in the valley taunting us and intimidating us and threatening us, most of us say, now is not the time to move. Let's, let's wait for the giant to leave. That's how the children of Israel reacted when the Philistines showed up in the valley of Elah. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words from the giant, they were dismayed and greatly afraid and they retreated from battle until a little shepherd boy said, hey, I'll do it. When circumstances are less than ideal, contrary to what we may have dreamed up or drawn up for ourselves, we will convince ourselves rather quickly that now is not the season for action, now is the season for hibernation. So many believers in times of distress and discomfort, they fall back in their faith, they regress in their kingdom activity because they allow, because we allow, fear to freeze us. So I think we need to have a real important, we need to, to, to close around a real important series of questions. Over the past couple of years, and maybe this past week has alerted, made that rise back up in you, that sense of fear and uneasiness over the last couple of years. Over the last couple of years, have you grown in your faith? Or have you taken a step back? Has all the discomfort, has all the confusion, has all the uneasiness, has, has it made you take a step back? When all of a sudden you hear about wars and rumors of wars and the likes, does it make your faith grow or does it make you take a couple steps back and wonder where's all this going? When the world gets more volatile and more fragile and when we're reminded of how fragile and volatile things are, more aware and affected by it, how do we respond? And I'm not speaking for you, but a lot of us, most of us, when we 
see how fragile and volatile things are, we take a step back and we worship less. We serve less, we give less, we do less because that's what fear wants us to happen, wants to happen for us. That's what discomfort, when fear says, hey, you're not comfortable, you can't serve God, so we don't, or we do it less. Maybe that, maybe what that actually reveals is that our hope and our faith wasn't so much in God, but the good things that he was giving us. And when the good things became less available, when the struggles of this world began to lift, begin to tilt the blessings, we slid down to a place where suddenly God was no longer on our radar. People say, well, I'm just discouraged. Of course you are, because you're looking at the world and you're taking from the world. No wonder you're discouraged. And in the true Christians, I wonder we're discouraged. If we take our courage from a world, it's temperamental at best. And at worst, it's just as fragile as what we see around us. You know, a lot of us this past week, over the past couple of years, when we go about ourselves to get ready for the day, we're completely psyched out of serving God before we even get out of bed. We don't put our shoes on to serve God because we see so many reasons why we shouldn't or why we can't. We're not putting on our readiness by the, given by the gospel. This world's discomfort and fear calls us to put off our readiness. And if that's the case, I believe it's so, I believe it is for so many of us. I think there's good news for us right now at this point in our lives, at this point in our world, when it's so wounded and so dizzy and out of control. When everything is shaken up, when we're our most rattled, when we are well in tune with how uncomfortable we are, it's actually a great opportunity from God to reassess our foundation. You may not get this opportunity again, or it might have to happen again if we don't take advantage of it now. Coming off the last couple of years in the thick of things this week, there's a temptation to lose touch with God, to lose sight of his kingdom, and that's what the enemy wants, obviously. And it's that, if that's been your story, ask yourself, is that really the trajectory that God intended for you in the midst of this? You see, Christians, we believe that God is good and sovereign in all seasons. We believe that God doesn't just allow things, but God calls us things. God, what he does not mean, he always redeems because he's God over all. Do you believe that? That God is, over, God is God over all because he's God in all? This makes us uneasy and we've been relatively, but we've been relatively spared from what the rest of the world has faced, exposes how spoiled we are. But it would be true no matter where we are this morning, no matter where you might have woken up this morning, this is true, that God is sovereign and God is good, that God causes things. God causes things for two reasons, gospel declaration and gospel saturation. So that the gospel might be spread on a macro and micro level. Gospel declaration means that everything happens so that more people might hear the gospel. So that the gospel might be preached more, declared more, and reached more. And not just in a declaration, in a macro way, but everything happens so that God's gospel and God's truth might saturate within all of us. It's for broad purposes and for inward purposes. And as we face discomfort, our nature is to reject God and actually lose faith in God because we're afraid he's not in control or somehow not trustworthy. As we regress in our faith, we often cling to what feels good, but we, we risk resisting and missing God in the better he brings. Does that make sense? We cling to what feels good. And when we don't have what feels good, we feel like that we can't serve God, but actually by resisting and missing what God is up to in the midst of the uncertainty, we miss God and we miss the better that he wanted to bring. 
It's in seasons of discomfort that our senses can be reset and that we can actually begin to know God on a deeper, more personal level. And I think all of us want that. It's in the crises of this world that we come to a crossroads, choose fear and regression, or we choose faith and progress in our walk with God. Make no mistakes, the crises, they reveal that this life is fleeting. They reveal that this world is fragile and volatile. They remind us that this life is brief and they bring us into a fog. They bring fog into our realities where we can struggle to see God. And when we struggle to see God, we back away from seeking God. And of course we don't serve God. But don't you see that's the point of the fog? That you might quit relying on the finality or the fleshly senses and begin seeking and walking by faith, not by sight. That we would stand firm in our faith and ground ourselves in what we know is true and prepare ourselves for what we know we should do. Don't you see it's when the enemy is trying to distract us and derail our progression that that's the prime opportunity to take a stand and double down on what we know is true. It's not ignoring reality, but it's bringing our earthly reality under the influence of heaven's reality. Over the last couple of years and even this past week, we've been reminded that life is fragile, life is volatile, and yes, life is short. But God is big. God is forever. And God is good. Don't ever, if if you ever go to church and you walk out of church thinking, well, man, this life's gonna last forever. I have nothing to worry about. There's no, I don't, you know, nothing bad's gonna happen. There's nothing that could go wrong. Listen, that's a lie. Life is short. None of us are promised tomorrow. We could be Ukraine under the attack of another enemy. That's not, you know, somehow something that God would not allow to happen to us. Life is short. We should think about that every day. Life is short, but God is big. And God is forever and God is good. And yes, the brevity of this life and the fragility of this life and the volatility of this life can make us afraid and uncomfortable. But what God wants us to see is that he is big and that he is good and it's in this broken world. He's preparing us for something much better. You see, it's in times like these surrounded by uncertainty that we must remember that surrounding that uncertainty and leveraging that uncertainty is a God who is bigger and preparing something better. And if, if, if we don't allow fear and discomfort to disable us, we can stay in touch with that. Am I saying that comfort is bad? <laughs> Am I saying that all this chaos is better than no chaos? Of course not. But I'm saying that I do believe that often God's best is just across the border of what is comfortable and what is easy. It may take him removing those cushions and those barriers for us to see the whole point, the whole time is that we've been on sinking sand. So today, full of uncertainty, tempted by fear, inconvenienced by discomfort, the call over every Christian is to check and evaluate our foundation. Are we grounded in and by the gospel alone? Are we allowing the truth of the gospel to prepare us for every day, especially the foggy ones? The only way we'll see God every day is if we walk by faith and not by sight. If our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his coming kingdom. But if our faith is in anyone or anything other than Jesus and his coming kingdom, we are most at risk because we have no other savior. 
And this might even be the harder part to accept. We have no other permanent home. If our faith is in anybody but Jesus in his coming kingdom, we have no other savior. We have no other permanent home. If that makes you feel like the ground underneath you is shaking, maybe it's time to get some other ground. Hello? Maybe it's time that we look at the sand we're on, whatever flag is planted in that ground, whatever ideology is planted in that ground, whatever emotions are planted in that ground. Maybe it's time we get some, more, we get some new ground because there is no other savior and we have no other home. Well, we have a cool place to live right now, but it's not forever. Everybody else will fail you. Everything else will let you down. Everywhere else will pass away. Maybe today is the day we renew our faith in Jesus and begin reassessing our foundation. Maybe today is the day you thank God for the uncertainty and the discomfort because they serve to drive us to him and find a more certain comfort. I wanna leave you with one of the most powerful and peaceful passages of scripture that remind us of these truths we've covered. I think you'll do well to read this every day whenever you wonder if things are as they should be. Psalm 46, David says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations on earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And here's the invitation, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted above the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So what is God inviting you to do today? Be still and know that he is God. So what are you more sensitive to today? Our broken world or our mighty God? There's only one answer. If you're in the blue, where most of us, if we're being honest, probably are, God is inviting you to be still. Take your eyes off what you see and put your faith in who you might not see and might not feel. But his word promises you he has a plan. We are surrounded by both realities every day, by, but one is giving way to the other. Even as we speak, if only we would be still and by faith begin seeing God in the midst of all this uncertainty. So today, would you begin to see him through the fog? Seek him by faith and would you begin to serve him in spite of discomfort? It begins by seeing him through the fog. That begins by professing and declaring in the midst of the uncertainty, there is a God who is bigger. There is a God who is greater. Why would we be afraid when we could have faith in the God who is bigger and better? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this invitation. Lord, all of our hearts are wounded, 
Many of us are uncertain. We've been through so much the last couple of years and Lord, that's not even counting the things that we're facing individually. There may be someone facing a diagnosis, facing a procedure, facing some kind of uncertainty personally and privately that we're not even aware of today or we all aren't aware of, but they are. Lord, in the midst of all of this, you are wanting to form our faith, develop our faith, to grow us and to give us a ground that is more certain, to take away that which is fragile and volatile and give us something that is more solid and secure. Lord, would you move through this house today and if somebody is looking for comfort that this world does not give, Lord, maybe it requires them forsaking what they've put their faith in and turning to Jesus for the first time. Would you invite them to find that faith today? Would you invite them to be still and know that you are God, that you have a plan for them? Lord, may we all be still and feel the sensitive, be sensitive to your presence over whatever may be a problem around us because you are mighty through it all. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.